Working Blind, sharing the stories of working blind people from across the globe. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Working Blind. I'm your host, Holly Scott Gardner. Working Blind, for those of you who are wondering, what am I listening to, is a podcast where I interview blind people from across the globe about their careers. I'm blind myself and I really want to show the diversity within the careers and interests that blind people have. This is a project that I've been dreaming of for a long time, so to get it out there for people to listen to is really quite special. I'm also hoping to show to the wider world that despite what some people might like to believe, blind people aren't all one person. We are actually quite different. Today I'm here with Florian Beers, who is a blind programmer from the Netherlands. Hi Florian, thanks for appearing on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So when I spoke to you a bit about your career, you say you are a programmer. What exactly does your job involve? So it's sort of in the name. I'm a programmer, so I write computer programming code. This is for a uh, web portal right now that um, I basically build the backend interactions of the portal. So when you click a button, I make sure actually something happens when, when you do that. Oh, okay. So you're kind of the person who makes sure that when we're there looking at a website or an application and we, we think a button should do a certain thing, you're the one who makes sure it actually does that. Yes. Okay, that's cool. Um, so I'm guessing you have been blind since birth or did you lose your sight? No, I've been blind since birth. That's that's correct. Okay. And what were your experiences like going throughout school? I mean, did you use technology from an early age? Is that how you got into it? Uh, quite an early age, yes. I started with my computer, let's say, education when I was, I think I was eight. Okay. And uh, that was a really old MS-DOS computer. Basically, all it did was word processing, and I didn't know how to make it do anything else. So mm-hmm. it's just... It was just set up to start right into a blank document and all I had to do was type, basically. That was what I used for notes. And then uh, as I moved away from the blind school a couple of years later, I got, a, I got a Windows PC with Windows 98 on it. And I got up to quite a bit more mischief with that machine. But yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. So you actually started at a blind school then? I did, yes. I've, uh, I've been in blind school for the first let's say, six years of my education, after which I switched to, uh, let's say, regular mainstream (laughs) education. And what were the differences for you between those two schools? Were they very different? They were very different indeed. Uh, The classes are about four times as large in a regular, quote, school. Um, The education is quite a bit higher level. And I can't say that I've had a great experience with... um, with blind school, blind education over it, it was not very um, conducive to, uh, let's say, a healthy integration into mainstream society. It was very, it, it could be quite demeaning, quite sort of devaluing, and it was not good to, like, it was not at all good to build some good self-confidence skills or social skills at all. So I pretty much all learned all that when I switched to mainstream education. And how old were you when you switched? I must have been 10, 9, 10. And that must be quite hard to spend, you know, the first, what, five or so years of your school life in one kind of environment and then go somewhere else and realise, well, actually, you know, I didn't, I wasn't challenged enough and I didn't get the social skills where I started. Basically, uh, I got 
sort of I'd like recommend it for a mainstream school when I was still in blind education because um, all the work we had to do, I did in like a fifth of the time I should be doing it in. <laughs> so yeah, that's very quick. I was, was just basically just reading books at this point, just reading books from the library all day, and that's fun, but not very educational because it was yeah. mainly fiction. So, <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so it was quite a jarring shift because uh, it was a very very. Like I said, the, the classes are larger, which means the teacher has less time for you. But it's also just way busier, way many, many more impressions coming at you at any given time. And then uh, the education material was quite a bit higher level as well. So it was quite a big shift. But then it was still a smaller shift than what I've seen other people do, which is uh, go from, let's say, the end of primary school on the blind side and then switch over to regular school for your, for your secondary school, which is yeah. an even bigger shift. That's a completely different environment. And that I've actually seen people running, screaming back to the blind school after that because it's just too much, too fast. You're once. a lot older, aren't you? And the, the schooling in general is just much more intense. So it's like... It is, yeah. and they have far less. Like you, you switch teachers every every hour. Basically, you switch rooms, uh, you switch environments. Uh, you have to like account for so many things. You have to make sure you have your books. There's barely any advocacy going on, at least here. So you're basically on your own when it comes to like making sure everything's accessible and things like that. So, yeah, so you, you have really so have many things coming at you in schools in Sorry. the Netherlands. You don't really have a lot of support in school. Not really. You do in primary school uh, and you do in secondary school to a certain degree. There is a person that comes to check on you every so many weeks uh, from a blind school institution, as it were, and they make sure you stay on track, but they only have so many, so much time and so much influence. So uh, okay. it's just one person that comes, like, let's say, for an hour every two weeks. Wow. And then you talk about what's going on and what's going wrong. And then they try to talk to your teachers to make sure that doesn't happen again. And yeah. that is what they can do in secondary school. Pretty much when you go to college, that entire support just falls away entirely. Mm-hmm. So, so you're alone at that point. How to advocate for yourself then from quite an early yeah. stage. Mm-hmm. Now, I must admit that my secondary school was quite good about it. We had a small, uh, what we call a gymnasium, which is just a, pretty much just a high-tier theoretical scientific education. Um, it was a very small school, which means I could get a lot done. When I switched over to college, which we'll probably get into later, um, mm. this was a far larger institution, far more stiff, far more protocol-oriented. So when there was a problem, it was quite a bit harder to solve, and there was no support from, let's say, the blindness institutions over here, because frankly, it doesn't really happen all that often that a blind person makes it this far into, into like, college or university which is actually really sad well because my perception of the netherlands being a british person is that you guys are very developed and you guys are very liberal and relaxed and you know i think perhaps when you come from a certain country you look at other countries and think oh they must have great disability rights and things like that and it might not actually be the case i'm finding out it might be like the thing is that it's very uh circumstantial it can be it can be exactly as you say when you have the right people in front of you. Mm. It can also be completely not. Like if you have a teacher that doesn't want to work with you, you're basically on your own. And that happens quite a bit, especially in higher education. Wow. Uh, if the, the teacher that's set in their ways and they just don't want to change anything for you, which does happen. Yeah. That's basically it. You don't have anywhere, anywhere to turn. And um, I had the uh, fortune, I guess, that I could talk to uh, the school dean who had a bit of experience with 
people with disabilities and they could sort of pull the right ropes to make sure things went a bit more smoothly. But um, I've heard stories from people who don't even have that and they really have a hard time to sort of acclimatize to uh, higher education and having them do what they need to be able to learn properly. Like have digital have digital examinations that actually work and things like that. This person, for example, had uh, equation objects, uh, you know, the one Microsoft Word makes mm -hmm. uh, in the document. You, you know, those are not accessible. And then when you ask the teacher uh, to type them just in regular signs, you get responses like, well, I'm not a robot. I don't have the time. So, uh, no. Yeah, they always think it's someone else's responsibility. And, you know, they if you do. don't have yeah. someone on your side, then that's that's tough because you can't force someone at the end of the day to to meet your access needs if they really won't if they don't want to do it you're basically at an impasse like he's not going to do it or she and you're mm -hmm. not going to be able to do it until they do so yeah that's a that's a really tricky situation to be in and i have been in that situation before yeah do you think you were quite lucky overall compared to other students or do you think your experience was quite typical I wasn't, I wasn't, in the sense that if I had a good teacher, I could very well work with them, and then we could do the, the school work, and that happened, let's say, about 40% of the time. Mm -hmm. But then the other 60%, I really had to do a lot of fighting. I had, I've had delays um, in my, like, graduation happened because of this. Like, it just, I couldn't do the subject as it was taught to me. And uh, there just wasn't enough time to sort of, let's say reroute and do something else uh, to get those, those, those credits. So I had to like, fail the semester and then do another semester uh, while I was researching how to do the semester I just failed. That <laughs> happened actually twice. My God, that's a lot of pressure on one student. <laughs> yep. Um, and did you, when you were younger, so before you went to university, when you were maybe in primary school, did you imagine that you would have a career in technology? Mm, I mean, honestly, I was a child, so I didn't really think about it that much. But um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had childish yeah. dreams. I, I was going to be—I was going to be a doctor at first when I was like <laughs> seven years old. I mean, yeah, that's obviously not going to happen. But I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I had to do it with my mum. She was in uh, medical. Uh, she was a medical uh, intern at a uh, an as uh, asylum for like people, like foreign people, foreign refugees, and, and mm -hmm. things that would come across the border. I knew that place to stay and get medication my mom would work there and we would come there after school because uh, my mom was a single mom so she had to sort of take care of us as she was doing that so we hung out at the office a lot and that sort of gave me an idea hey, oh, that's cool i should be a doctor that's cool <laughs> <laughs> obviously that didn't happen uh and then when i was in actually a couple months after i went to uh to primary school like mainstream primary school i found this website on google that a classmate of mine from blind school wrote about writing, uh, about building websites. Okay. And I was like, hey, that seems doable. Let's just try that. And that first website I made, it was very simple. Just had a bunch of links and a, I think one heading. But it came, but it came to life pretty much in front of my eyes, and that was really addicting feeling. Like, hey, I can just make things appear on the screen, and that's something I did. It's not the computer; it's me. And that basically got me hooked and, and interested in tech all throughout my secondary schooling, um, after which I was going to switch to either music, which I still want to do, but I don't have the money for, mm. or something I could actually make money with. Being, <laughs> economy being what it was at the time, like say 2008, <laughs> 2009, I figured, uh, maybe not music right now. 
Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? When you have interests, but unfortunately, you also have to eat and pay the bills. <laughs> you have to eat, and that is right, right around when the credit crisis happened. So mm-hmm. I had to, like, I mean, I could do a music thing, but I can see, like, funding being withdrawn for music projects here right now. Let's not. Let's do something, actually, like, where I'm reasonably sure I'll have a job that I can actually get income yes. from stably, <laughs> and then we can think about the music thing. Yeah, that's, and that's pretty really much how it happened. Wow. And what happened after you went to university? So you had these struggles throughout university. You know, you had to retake a couple of semesters because of not being able to access things. And obviously you graduated in the end. And then then what did you do? Did you start looking for a job immediately? Pretty much. I was lucky in the sense that I could do a, uh, a thematic job at my, at my school. There was a, an, a company on campus, pretty much in the same building I had my classes in, uh, it was a media media office, so to speak. So they made videos, they made websites, they made posters and things. And the website part was actually very much aligning with the stuff I wanted to do when I was done with my university degree. So what I did was actually do that as a side job while I was studying. So a part-time job, if you will. And that actually gave me a bit of a leg up CV-wise. I could put that on my resume um, when I just started doing a job. And then right, right before my final internship, I got in a bit of a. I, I, I started a bit of a cooperation with Microsoft, where I could be an intern for Microsoft for half a year. Obviously, that didn't really uh, get in my way either when I was looking for a job. It kind of helped. Yeah. So when I put all that together and actually like made a resume that had all that stuff on it, it was actually quite simple to find a job at the time because I, you know, I was very easily pleased at the time. I wanted just a job that had to yeah. do with the stuff I was doing at university. Mm. So. I basically just spammed my resume to about 15 companies and uh, five, of, five of them got back to me and two of them oh. actually had a good story to tell and one of them I worked there for half a year. So yeah, That's that great. Was, it actually, like how long did it take? I'd say about a month before I had a job. I think that's great for any graduate and you know, obviously graduates who are blind in general have lower employment rates. So to be a blind graduate and get a job that quickly, I think you're probably breaking your record there. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I am, yeah. Yeah, well, I'll let you know when we're about 12 episodes in. <laughs> <laughs> I go for it. Beat you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and did you choose to disclose your blindness when you were looking for a job? I tend not to, no. What I would do is I would like keep that to myself pretty much until I couldn't anymore. Um, that used to be um, when I went, when I walked into the door because I had like a blind cane and I would have to come either by cab or by bus and then I would uh, walk in and they'd see my blind cane. Uh, these days I can't really do that anymore because I have a guide dog and I don't want to like cause like a, a, an allergic attack from someone who has a, a severe dog allergy. So, so what I tend panel. to do now... <laughs> Trying yeah, to so, <laughs> what I tend to do is now is when they when they call me up to sort of schedule the interview, mm-hmm. um, I'll have them do it. I'll have them set a time and I'll agree to the time. And then as they're about to hang up, I'll be like, hey, um, by the way, is there someone with a dog allergy in your office? And they'll be like, uh, I don't know why. And then I explain the why I'm walking with a guide dog. And they'd ask me why. And I'd say, well, because I'm a blind person. And basically, at that point, I would explain, like, you know, my whole spiel where I do I have to use a screen reader, I have a braille display, and I, or I bring my own stuff. You don't need to do any advocacy. Mm. You don't need to get any technology. I will have that with me. It's all good. And then this is usually not a tech person. There's usually some HR person or even a recruiter 
Um, so they were like, okay, okay. They asked, me, they asked me a few like standard questions that I always get. Mm-hmm. I give them the standard answers I always give. And then basically, <laughs> uh, I, I usually take it from there and I go to their office and talk to p- people that actually matter uh, in the sense of <laughs> being uh, selected for the job, yes or no. Yeah. And then usually what I have to do is do like the whole monkey see, monkey do thing where I show off that I actually do have a talking computer that can tell me how I need to program and things like that. So <laughs> once that is all, you know, once we get past the wow, that's amazing factor. Usually what we do is uh, pretty standard and pretty similar to what any other job interview with a non-blind person would look like. But what I do there is I minimize the blindness so much. I de-emphasize it even to the degree that it doesn't, bec- it's, it's no longer a big deal for the other parts either. And that's what you want. I think at least that's, that's been really, that's been working really well for me definitely sounds like it has if you've managed to get jobs so fast and you know maintain employment it sounds like it's it's doing yeah, very me, well for you let me put it this way i'm not worried if i were to be fired from my current job i'm not worried that i won't be able to find employment again i think i'll have another job within two months at most and that's mainly because i'm picky <laughs> Because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a programmer. Everyone wants programmers. And like usually they're like really like halfway broken old systems that someone needs to maintain and nobody really wants to do it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if, I, if I'm really strapped for cash, I can go do that. Like, I don't want to, but I can. Yeah, um, have options. So I, I could have a job within the week if I really wanted to. <laughs> I don't want to though, because I've actually had a few misses there. And I've, I've worked at places that I really didn't like working at. And um, I don't want to do that anymore. So um, I look at like things I actually want to work on, like subjects that interest me or programming languages that interest me. Sometimes yeah. even when I still have a job and then I go, I go by, I ask them the questions I want to ask. And if, if it sounds good, that's when I say, okay, I'll switch over. Or when I don't have a job, I can say, okay, I'll, I'll start working there. Hmm. So it's basically me picking the job, not so much the other way around, which is uh, quite rare, I've been told, mm-hmm. in the blind community. I think it's very rare. I mean, I would say even for people who aren't blind, I think, you know, in certain fields, perhaps it's less rare, but I know a lot of people who are working jobs that they'd really rather not be, but, you know, it pays the bills. So I think having the luxury of choice is, is great if you can. Yes, that is actually one of the, like, the big advantages of this field. Um, a lot of people want you when you're a programmer that actually knows yeah. his stuff or her stuff, of course. <laughs> but uh like this is a this is an area of study where you can be competitive you can be picky which is important because you need to if you can you should work at a place where you like to work because yes. it's it's work and it's gonna something you have to do 40 hours a week or more so it's it's better if you do something you actually like doing yeah the happier you um, are the better if you've got to spend all that really, time there <laughs> yes yes and you know you need to eat so if yeah. if, if you can combine all that if you can get past all the roadblocks, because there are many mm-hmm. uh, in this field, once you've surpassed them all, uh, you, you definitely do have a shot at a really good job. Mm. And do you think this is a field that other blind people could get into with, I don't want to say relative ease, but it's, it's within reach for blind people? Yes, I would say it's within reach. It's not easy because a lot of the stuff you're going to have to do is not documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense that um, the highway may not always be your way because it just might not work for you. Yeah. Uh, you might have to figure out your own little workarounds for things and you might have to reinvent the wheel because what I've seen in this field, and that's actually a really annoying trend, is that once you're past the student stage, 
uh, you stop documenting things. Like you don't really care anymore for people who are just getting into this field, mm -hmm. um, who, who may have been facing the same challenges you just passed. And I actually don't like that. I actually, um, you may have seen it last week. Uh, I made a bit of noise on Twitter about that because I was, <laughs> people wait, keep asking me very, very similar questions. Mm. And I always have to like sort of take them apart and go, look, I know this is, this is nowhere. You can't find this anywhere. Mm. I can tell you this and then you know it, but that's the only way. And I think that should change. I think so we should make some kind of resources. Yeah. We need to make some kind of repository where all this information like that people have figured out work around street smarts, things like that, just put them somewhere so people can find them. And I'm actually working, uh, in my, in my spare time, working on a little system, a little repository of knowledge that I'm going to put online and people can contribute to that. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but you know, watch my Twitter, <laughs> but that's, I'm going to like try to make some kind of curriculum, some kind of path for like absolute beginners to this field. Like people who barely know how to turn on a computer, um, to get into this field. And like, if you have enough dedication enough time and I guess energy and focus, I would say it's definitely within reach to, uh, to get good at this field and to be competitive yeah. with with your sighted peers as well and that that's so important is not just getting into the field but really being able to compete and feeling like you compete fairly and on an even even field mm -hmm. so I've, uh, yeah i've actually written an article mm -hmm. on uh the um what's it called 2411 why that's it 24 a 11 why it's the uh it's a thing that they do in December. They send out uh, accessibility articles written by people in the field, uh, in various fields, actually. Oh, yeah. And, and sort of to educate people. And I wrote an article on that last year, actually about many of the challenges I've had to face as a blind program and how I overcame them and, and what's still, like, what are still problematic areas where it should improve. So that was sort of like that idea of the curriculum uh, in a very condensed version, I'm going to expand on that and actually make like a whole learning path people can follow to get into this field to sort of oh, avoid wow. most of the, tra the treacherous pits that I've like sort of fallen into. And yes. Out of it. So th they're very avoidable if you know where not to go. And, and that's actually really hard to figure out if you're on your own. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's about giving future blind people the resources you maybe didn't have but, but wish you had. Yes, and like the important part is as well to keep it up to date. Yes. And that's going to be, that's going to be a thing and a half to do. So you might need some help at that point to get people who are also doing this to, uh, to chip in and help. Yeah. to contribute. Uh, Cause it's, so it can be a, a living document, a living resource as it were. Hmm, well, that sounds great. That sounds like a really positive thing to do so that, you know, people don't have to struggle their way through when there are actually existing solutions to, to the problems. That sounds really positive. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the idea. <laughs> and what are your goals for the future? Do you intend to stay at your current job? I don't know if you want to say on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> um, honestly, I don't know at this point. Um, I will probably stick around my current job for a bit yet. It's, a, it's quite a nice job. It's, uh, I can do whatever, whatever I like. Um, there are definitely some things that irk me though. So I might, I might just, you know, spread my wings and fly off again. Yeah. I don't know yet. If I find something that seems cool, I will 
go talk to them. So if anyone here who listens to this has like an awesome thing that they need done, you know, give me a mind. Give me a shout. <laughs> but, yeah, give me a shout. Like I'm, I'm always there on Twitter. So, um, but apart from that, I really don't know. I'm, I have a house. Uh, I'm also working on the music thing. I have a little studio upstairs where I'm like learning how to do audio producing and things like that. So uh, I have managed to, to make something of that hobby, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apart from that, I just intend to live my life and have a good time and I'll see where I end up. That sounds like a good way to live. Um, if listeners want to find you to give you a job, where can they reach you? <laughs> <laughs> um, probably the most uh, direct and easy way to do that is uh, through my Twitter, which is... a. Uh, Zersiox, it's a Z or Z, pick, take your pick, Z-E-R-S-I-A-X, it's a, it's a game name, don't ask. Oh. And uh, apart from that, uh, yeah, that's, that's probably the easiest way to reach me. If you don't have Twitter, you can email me. Uh, that'll be my name at gmail.com, and my name is really hard to pronounce and to figure <laughs> out phonetically, so I'll spell it. That's F-L-O-R-I-A-N-B-E-I-J-E-R-S at gmail.com if you want to repeat that rewind (laughs) well perfect so let's hope you get job (laughs) offers flooding in (laughs) (laughs) we'll see well thanks for agreeing to take part in this episode it was really interesting getting to speak to you because i'm not a programmer so it's really cool to find out kind of the things that other blind people are doing Mm -hmm. yeah it was great to uh to give you my perspective and um i wish you the best well thank you very much Thanks for listening to Working Blind. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. For more of my advocacy initiatives, including my blog, visit my website, http colon slash slash catchthesewords.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at catchthesewords. That's C-A-T-C-H-T-H-E-S-E-W-O-R-D-S. If you have any comments or feedback, please email me, holly at catchthesewords.com.